Hello and welcome to FT Advisors' latest podcast, carried out under our socially distancing procedures and not in our usual studio, so do apologise for any sound issues. While we have been on lockdown, we've seen some interesting ecological events. Goats have taken over a small Welsh town. US meteorologists have reported some of the lowest levels of atmospheric pollution for decades. And skies in once smog-ridden cities in China have lifted to reveal distant mountains scraping the horizon. At such a time as this, environmental, social and governance issues have been coming to the fore, with some ESG funds significantly outperforming their peers, despite the market downturn we've seen in recent weeks. This may have added to perhaps people's views on ESG and perhaps more clients are thinking about investing along ESG lines. But despite the recent clamour for this, not all ESG funds are made equally. Just because a fund has a sustainability label or claims ESG credentials doesn't mean they're all alike. Potential investors will need to dig a lot deeper into the investment process. With me today to discuss these issues, is Ryan Lightfoot-Brown, Senior Research Analyst for Chelsea Financial Services, Stephanie Mayer, Director of Responsible Investment for HSBC Global Asset Management. And just because I didn't introduce myself before, I have to say I am Simone Kuriaku, Editor of Financial Advisor. So, uh, Stephanie, may I start with you? I'd like to ask how far you think the Greta Thunberg effect has filtered into investment decisions recently. Yeah, so transitioning to a lower carbon economy is obviously a key societal and investment imperative and one we've been integrating into our investment process for um, some time now. The the Paris Climate Agreement in 2015 was obviously a key milestone, but undoubtedly civil society is now much more vocally engaged on this issue, whether that's in calling on governments to step up their action or in considering their investments. We've also seen regulators step up here significantly, recognising that climate risk can present a real issue to financial stability. So I think all those factors have have really led to a much more significant focus on climate-related risks and opportunities in the investment area. Ryan, have you seen something similar happen at uh, Chelsea? I think there's certainly been increased momentum in the ESG space. Um, These are things that have been occurring anyway um, for quite a while. If you remember back to 2007, just before the last crash, we had a concert for Live Earth to try and raise awareness for climate issues. And even going back as far as 1979, there are actually solar panels on the White House roof, which if you think about it in today's standards would be quite remarkable. And the impact of Greta Thunberg's generation is that they're so much more media savvy these days and those negative perceptions about companies that are performing ESG standards that are not acceptable to investors are so much quicker to be highlighted and then disseminated amongst social media that if a company is performing badly or is behaving unethically, it's very easy for that to get highlighted and picked on. And therefore, it's had an effect sort of two angles, one from consumers not wanting to be on the wrong side of the trade, but also from sort of board and director level where they don't want to be in charge of the company that gets pulled out in the media and gets shown to be mistreating its workers or um, causing issues in local populations and pollution issues. 
I think the point of, about it becoming more prevalent in the boardrooms is a really important one. Uh, we're on the steering committee of a global investor engagement initiative called Climate Action 100 Plus, and there we're focusing on a 160 large global emitters, and there very much we're seeing the increased focus from the boardroom just uh Yesterday, we saw an announcement from Shell around how they're going to continue to deliver on their net zero ambition. So we're very much seeing this as a business imperative for key sectors as well. Uh, Certainly. And um, as I think we've mentioned before, ESG has been receiving a lot of interest. And obviously, there is a lot of money coming into ESG funds. So we can't ignore that that might have slightly warped the figures in ESG funds favour at the moment. Um, But we have seen very strong performance from um, certain sustainable funds uh, over this current downturn. Do you think that this sort of positive performance might finally put to pay to the idea that sustainable can't outperform mainstream investments? Ryan, can I start uh, with you on that and I'll put you on the spot? Yes, of course. Um, Well, I would argue that ESG is becoming mainstream investing these days. It's very difficult to go to a fund presentation without seeing an ESG slide in there. And so I think it was happening before the downturn, but it's certainly been accelerated by this downturn where we are seeing an oil crisis as well, and therefore the oil majors, um, which will be a big underweight to ESG funds for obvious reasons. So where they're suffering, the ESG funds will work better on a relative basis. But also one of the key elements in the market, in my opinion, is that data is significantly improving. The data beforehand from a a couple of very large providers was not perhaps as as good as it could have been and underrepresented smaller companies, whereas now lots of fund houses are doing their own internal data enhancing what is there already and producing their own, which leads to very high quality results. And therefore, ESG funds are using this data as an input, which is giving them an informational edge. We've certainly been incorporating environmental, social governance or ESG considerations across our investment process um, for for well over a decade. We find it makes good investment sense. And as Ryan says, the the data is increasingly improving uh, to enable that to, to happen. It's perhaps a little early to determine the performance and the long-term outcomes for this this particular current period that that we're still going through. But the indications are certainly that the companies that perform better on key ESG issues are more resilient, which is very much in line with the existing and growing body of research on the link between strong ESG performance of companies and investment performance. I've got to say, personally, I've had an ESG fund in my ISA portfolio, and it has never had a negative month, and I've held it for seven years. Uh, it's gone through various managers, as you know, the, the whole industry has been contracting. But I just find it so interesting that even now, it's one of the few, the very few uh, things in my portfolio that are actually solidly in the black at the moment. So uh, uh, I've, I've, not, I've not been... I've not, I've not been saddened by my uh, ESG performance, just maybe everything else is maybe a little bit sad at the moment. As you pointed out at the outset, though, it is worth noting that there are a variety of ways to, to invest sustainably, and it, and it covers a, a range of different approaches and, and strategies. So we need to be cautious about talking uh, as though we're discussing one particular investment approach it can you know incorporate impact exclusions thematic etc 
but but certainly when you're looking at the correlation between companies with strong ESG performance characteristics, we're certainly seeing a lot more evidence of, of resilience there. Um, in terms of what you've been saying, well, both you and Ryan have been saying, Stephanie, that uh, everything now seems to have a, an ESG overlay or there will be a certain ESG impetus behind a lot of the investment decisions, regardless of what the fund has traditionally been. Do you think that that now these this, this idea that 20 years ago when I started out um, writing on ethical funds, financial advisors told me 10% of your portfolio can be an ethical and they they were really hard pushed <laughs> to put 10% into ethical um, but that's all they said that 10% in ethical everything else you can invest in your tobacco and your oil but it was everything having this ESG filter do you think that that sort of 10% idea is actually irrelevant now? If I may I, I believe so I think with the explosion of funds having right. some elements of ESG analysis in them, whether that is ethical, social, or governance, it's you for a start, you'd be very hard pushed to find 90% of a portfolio to be in funds that don't have that. Mm-hmm. But also, ESG has just become much more than just a filter now. It's not just a thou mm-hmm. shalt not with a we mustn't invest in these companies. It's actually become an element of analysis for funds mm-hmm. processes. So it's so widespread, it gives manage such an edge in terms of another way of looking at stocks and with the industry contracting and investment managers are always looking for another bit of informational edge to give them the enhancement as active managers i really think that almost entire portfolio can be ethical now or esg related because the social and the governance factors as well as the ethical ones we've mostly touched on are so strong i mean who would now actively go and buy a company with bad governance it's Yes, we've we've certainly seen very strong momentum in in ESG integration over the last certainly ten years. What we've also seen now, compared to twenty years ago, is so many more ways for investors to invest sustainably that look not just on the the risk side, but also increasingly on the opportunity side mm-hmm. as well. So whether that's looking at uh, themes. Uh, such as environmental solutions that could play a part in transitioning to the low-carbon economy, whether it's impact, looking at green or social bonds, where there are specific outcomes alongside the investment outcomes uh, that are being targeted, or just a a range of of different exclusions. We're seeing a lot more uh, variety there in terms of choice of being able to take advantage of the impact of those ESG trends. And another point is that where 20 years ago, this was really seen mostly in the context of equity strategies. We are very much seeing this, and as as we do ourselves, implemented across different asset classes. And even something like stewardship, which is around using our influence as investors through voting and engagement, to, to improve practices and, and through that to help manage those ESG G risks within our investments, we're seeing engagement playing a much stronger role in our credit research and analysis uh, and investment process. So I think we're seeing a lot more choice there, very much in terms of the, the strategies, the asset classes, and a, a much better understanding uh, of the, the relevant and material 
ESG issues and, and why they need to be taken into account in the investment process. Excellent. Could we look a little bit more in depth uh, in terms of the strategies? And um, Ryan, definitely I'll, I'll come back to you on this ESG strategy too. But what does a modern ESG investment strategy look like? Can, can we define it or is it still too wide ranging? Well, I think you start with the premise of what does any good investment strategy look like? And that includes diversification, management of, of risk, of you know, investment risk, balance of risk and, and return. And the key aspect of, of incorporating ESG factors is that it helps you do that better. That's why we integrate you know, a broad set of metrics beyond just the financial metrics to understand that risk return balance much better. And to that, we can add specific strategies that can target some of the large themes, global themes that we see, whether that's around the, the decarbonisation or transition theme, whether it's around demographics, the need for, for improved health, education outcomes. Uh, we have the sustainable development goals that, that also were agreed in, in 2015, targeting you know, very clear ambitions for how we uh, improve uh, society and environment for the world. So I think there we see a, a whole range of um, areas that have become critical to, to what a good strategy might look like. Thank you. So Ryan, can I come back to you? Sorry to cut in on you there. No problem. Um, I would just say that um, I think ESG investing is not a one-size-fits-all approach. Each element can be considered in its own right. So some people will focus very much on the on the G, on the governance angle of running companies well. Others will take more of the E and the S angles of behaving well towards your um, your suppliers and your staff, and then some will be how you impact on the wider environment. And therefore, each element can be taken alone by an investment manager, and you can have different approaches to it. So you can have areas of exclusion. Obvious um, areas will be the oil and gas and the miners, which do a fair bit of um, environmental risk. But then other factors, it gets a bit, a bit nuanced. And I think ESG gets thrown into this, oh, you must not do this. But it's actually a lot more sophisticated than that to most investors who will put it as an input into their investment process. who will go, well, if you're behaving like this and treat staff, that is a risk. And I think Stephanie got it very right on the on the risk rewards element of it, of going, well, if you are doing this with your suppliers, that is a big risk that they could turn around or they could get highlighted amongst social media, amongst the press. I mean, Sports Direct is a perfect example of the zero hours contracts work of, and then people don't want to shop at Sports Direct and it comes sort of full circle into these sort of things. So the modern investment strategy will consider all these elements. A professional fund manager who is actively looking at these sort of things is able to make their decisions. Fund selectors and advisors can then go, well, I can see their process, how it works, and then how it relates to my own end investor. Um, I'm going to add the something here that has been puzzling me with regulators, consumers, investors, and lobby groups pushing for a more considered understanding of ESG and for companies themselves announcing net carbon neutral um, or even carbon uh, negative. I think Microsoft said it wanted to be carbon negative by 2030. How important is the political willpower globally for supporting um, a sustained and powerful move towards ESG? 
So with respect to to climate progress and decarbonisation, clearly policy is their key driver. Technology and the price of technology and the innovation around technology is is also an important driver. With respect to the the political will, clearly we did have the Paris Climate Agreement in, in 2015, which was incredibly important in terms of all the nations coming together and, and agreeing to keep us well below the two degrees of warming and, and ideally the 1.5 degrees. That necessitates net zero uh, by by 2050 as a way of ensuring that, that we meet that. Now, in addition to companies setting out those targets and those ambitions. We've also seen countries do that as well. And and UK is an excellent example of that. So there we have government putting together very clear statements around intent for how the economy will decarbonise and how policy will align to help support that. Obviously, we've seen the, the COP, uh, so the latest climate conference that was due to take place uh, in November in Glasgow uh, later this year is being deferred to next year. However, there is still very strong political support for this decarbonisation agenda and the, the net zero commitments that we're seeing. Yeah, I think Stephanie's absolutely right on the on the political changes going into that. I would just add that we're starting to see some evidence of market forces starting to move the dial as well, um, with fewer investors willing to hold bonds of oil and gas companies, for example. Their cost of financing has gone up, and as such, their margins are going to be pushed, especially with their revenue now being slashed by what's going on at the moment. And therefore, that is affecting their shareholders. So if you get a shell, and as Stephanie pointed out, that they are moving towards a carbon neutral program, they're trying to improve their practices. Then more people will go, well, actually, Shell are going carbon neutral. They do pass the acceptability standard of going into our investable universe. And therefore, their cost of financing comes down. And that's sort of a win-win for all, really. So um, not only does the company lower their costs, um, investors have a better opportunity. But more, most importantly, we get towards a carbon neutral environment. And therefore, the whole society wins from that. Hopefully. Yeah, so it's a... We want the whole society to win from this because we actually want a cleaner, greener earth for our children and grandchildren. And uh, hopefully lockdown will uh, <laughs> give people a little taste of what that could actually be. But I really want to thank you both for taking the time out to speak to us on ESG. For those listening, thank you very much. Please tune in again next week for the next FT Advisor podcast. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 